Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a guest interview for you. Actually, I said that wrong. It's multiple guests. So we have three guests for you today on the show. And the reason for that is we're going to talk a little bit Western States 100. So this week, the Western States 100 is kicking off. And for those of you who are familiar or semi-unfamiliar, there's an interesting stat with Western States is because you can only have so many people on a certain portion of that route at any given time, there's a limited number of positions every year, but it's also one of the more popular events to try to get into. So if you were to say, decide, I want to run the Western States 100 today, and you went and you ran a qualifying race that allows you to enter the lottery, and you entered the lottery for the first time, you'd have less than a 1% chance of having your lottery ticket drawn. Now, it gets better every year you enter. So you do get rewarded the more years you enter and you have a higher percentage of getting your lottery ticket pulled because you just get more of them for every subsequent year that you apply. But it's tough to get into. And there are other ways to get in. You can race in, you can get into a sponsorship spot. And yeah, there's there's those options as well. So we'll talk about kind of how our guests today got into the Western States 100 and what they plan on doing. We go over some interesting things just like what it was like to, to train for it, prepare for it, what their expectations are on the day of. One of the unique reasons about this episode, I thought, was because two of the guests, Callie and Scott, are a couple, and they are also running it at the same year. So Nicole, my wife, is running it this year. I'm not, so I'm kind of the odd man out or the fanboy, so to speak, when it comes to Western States this year, but I'll be out there crewing and pacing. But nevertheless, Nicole and I actually both ran it together in 2018, so we thought it would be a fun topic episode to do with some guests on just how you're preparing for these races when your partner is also preparing for it, how the schedule lines up, where the variances are. Because as you can imagine with these long races, there's some uniqueness in everyone's training plan. There's some uniqueness in everyone's fueling plan and all the and, and expectations too. So how that all kind of fits. Uh, before we get rolling though, just a little bit about the guests. We have uh, one of them is Kelly Vinson and Kelly is a very interesting person. In fact, I could have Callie back on for a whole nother topic if I wanted to, because she at one point lost 200 pounds through endurance sport. And on that journey, she actually ran a 240 mile race. I believe it was the Moab 240. And along the way, she also brings awareness to rising hearts and has gotten into Western States through the goo sponsorship this year. So we're excited to see how Callie does and and what she's able to do with her day out there on the Western States trail. Uh, Scott, Scott actually raced in and he raced in, in one of the two ways, which is you can either get in by finishing in the top 10, the prior year. So last year's top 10 men's and women's field all get automatic entry. If they want that back into the Western States, you can also get in by running in through a series of golden ticket races where the top two individuals on the men's and women's side get those automatic entrance into Western states. So Scott's a little unique in that last year he got 10th, so he got in automatically. But the year before that, the way he got in is he raced in through one of those golden ticket races, which was the Black Canyon 100 kilometer where he got second place in 2022. Since then, though, he's been doing a little bit of racing and a lot of training. And along the way, he won the Javelina 100K 100 kilometer, and then also just recently won the Crown King 50 kilometer, which is a really cool race in Arizona where you actually just basically run uphill the whole time and you end in this really, really tiny little area. And you, the finish line is actually right at the front of an old bar. So, uh, fun historic event. Scott was the first one up the top of that this year in what I imagine was a tune up race for the Western States 100. And then, of course, Nicole, my wife. Uh, you've probably, uh, if you've listened to this show more than just this episode, you probably recognize how she got in, but her racing has been just cruising along lately. She had uh, a third place finish at the highly competitive Havelina 100 mile, which left her one spot away from getting her Western state spot, but turned things around a couple months later and ended up getting second place to Courtney DeWalter at the Bandera 100 kilometer here in Texas, which got her that golden ticket spot and the entrance to Western States this year. So she has been laying a little bit lower on the race side of things between January and now in order to make sure that she's got all the things prepared and ready to go for, for the big one at Western States this year. 
And you know, I've ran Western States twice, so I've got some perspective. I've actually crewed it a bunch of times, including you know, Nicole a few times and paced as well for multiple other people. So I'm very familiar with kind of the ins and outs of how that day goes. And I was just interested, like, what are the people doing to prepare for the various aspects of this course, which oftentimes has really different characteristics throughout the day, where in the beginning, in the high country, you might run through snow, which it looks like they're going to be doing this year. Then you dip down into the canyons, which sometimes it can hit above a hundred degrees. Doesn't look like it's going to get that hot this year. But the interesting thing this year will be after they trudge through the snow up in the high country, when they do get down in the canyons and start coming back up, they're going to have to go through a section of that course that had a lot of fire damage from last year. And that fire damage is making it a lot more exposed, meaning there were some spots that used to provide a little bit of shade that are now wide open. And in a Northern California trail, that means a lot more oppression from that sun. So we'll see how that all plays out and makes the field shake out with everything. Uh, but yeah, I won't say too much more about it and let the guests share their experience training for and preparing and what their expectations are and everything goes into that once we let them back on. Before we get rolling though, just a couple, couple quick announcements. Outliers ATX is a group run I host on Sunday mornings. We meet at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. Uh, 9 a.m. is our typical starting time, but now that the temperatures are picking up, we're probably going to expect a lot of people to shift down to that 8 a.m. start time. But either way, you'll have people there. We meet at Mets Park. Details from one week to the next is just on the Instagram page at Outliers ATX. If you live in Austin or visiting, feel free to stop by, say hi, run some miles with me and some of the people here who are uh, heading out onto some... Sunday morning running. Uh, also, if you are interested in coaching, whether it be one of my coaching plans that are pre-made or working one-on-one -on -one with me or just signing with a consultation to chat about whatever topics you want, you can find that stuff on my website at zachbitter.com. Also, if you would like to support the podcast specifically, there is a landing page for that, which is at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. From there, you can link to the show's Patreon page, which does get you early release ad-free episodes. So they jump right into it. And also other support options if you don't want to go on Patreon, but you want to support the show through a donation. Uh, but really what goes a long way, if you want to really help out, is to simply subscribe on your favorite platform so you automatically get the podcast episodes downloaded to whatever player you use or share the episodes on social media. In fact, going forward once per month, what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect anytime someone shares an episode on social media and tags me with that share. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to write down on a form who they are. And at the end of each month, I'm actually going to raffle off a free consultation. So if you want to get entered into a raffle to win a free consultation, just share whatever episode you enjoy on social media, tag me, you're entered. One final announcement before we get rolling, just a quick shout out to the show sponsors this year. Those include Element T Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. Element T Electrolytes is currently running a promotion where you can try out all their flavors in a sample pack for free with your first purchase. Right now is a great time to try that out too because they have their limited edition grapefruit flavor on their catalog at the moment. If you do that, and you get that free sample pack, you'll also get citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, like I mentioned, raspberry, chocolate, mango, chili, raw, unflavored. All you got to do to access that is use the show, show URL, which is going to be in the show notes. But for those of you listeners, it's going to be drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to get you that free sample pack option. What you get with their electrolytes is each little convenient packet comes with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. For me, that means about one of those packets and about two liters of fluid. I'll usually have a little bit of chocolate with my coffee in the morning, and then I'll have that ratio built into my hydration if I'm heading out for a longer session in the morning, especially if it is hot. Also supporting the show this year is Delta G Ketones. This year, I added a new product to my training and racing routine. The latest research on exogenous ketones motivated me to consider trying them out. I've been using Delta G formulation mainly because all the research showing promising benefits and recovering performance have been done using their formula. So when it came to deciding which exogenous ketone do I want to try playing around with during the year, Delta G stood out. I was really fortunate that on their website at deltagketones.com, 
you can actually sign up for a free consultation and they will actually look at what you're doing and help you decide whether it's a good idea or not to introduce some exogenous ketones into your training or your lifestyle and specifically how to do it. So for example, for me, what this means is if I'm doing a big workout or a key workout, I'll just take one bottle of Delta G ketones performance and head out for the workout. If I'm doing something longer, like a race, like a hundred mile race, I'll take one of those before and then about every three hours afterwards. So they kick in in about 15 minutes or so. And that's when you can start to see that concentration in your blood show up. So usually if it's before something, I'll try to take it around that amount of time before the start of it. One of the reasons, like I said, Delta G stuck out to me is they actually are the ketone ester that received the DARPA grant in effort to design the formula for special forces. Since then, Delta G has produced 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. These studies include two very recent ones that explored exogenous ketone relationship with increasing natural levels of EPO, as well as increasing circulating dopamine concentration, improving mental alertness, and improving post-exercise inflammation in endurance athletes. So check out Delta G's research and their product line at deltagketones.com. Like I said, there you can also sign up for a free consultation to dive into the research usage and whether it is beneficial for you. It's been a while, I think, since we had four people on the show, but today I have a guest guests interview, and it's going to be a bit of a Western States kind of tune-up preview type of episode. So I've got Scott, Callie, and Nicole, who are all three in the race, who I'm imagining all have prepared in at least slightly different ways. And then there's me, who's kind of the odd man sitting out this year in terms of Western <laughs> States. So I get a fanboyed up and kind of hear about everything that you guys going on, but Probably I have the least amount of nerves out of all four of us in this group right now. <laughs> Rightfully so. How are you guys doing? Uh, good. I don't feel like I put any pressure on myself ever to race. I did when I was younger coming up. Now, I don't know. I'm getting old. It doesn't matter. I know to me, I just got to go do my best. If I do my best, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I had a great coach who knows the course very well, and I was able to go to the training camp. So getting a firsthand experience of the course, I mean, um, this will definitely be a challenge for me because it's the first 100 I've done with a bit of climbing and a lot of descending. So um, I'm excited about it. I love racing in the heat. So that's I'm excited for that, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the training camp is definitely a huge, uh, I think, thing to have available to you if you haven't done the race before I know I've been to that a few times Nicole you've been to it a few times and it's just you know gives you that pretty much almost the entire look at the course other than that first roughly 50k which obviously would be nice to see that too but winter usually has something to say about that so you have to settle for 70 what is it 71 miles of the course <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah just about <laughs> Well, and you all are based in Phoenix, which is pretty advantageous. So we've done the race from Phoenix and I, we've seen all of your climbs at Mount Ord and we are just rolling our eyes, or at least I was like, oh, all the Mount Ord climbs. It, it <laughs> definitely brought back memories, but that's like a sneaky, great place to train. It is. Yeah. I, I've never run there until he mentioned it. And we, I feel like we live there uh, by <laughs> now. He actually had his last day at Mount Ord yesterday. So it was like a goodbye. I'll see you next season um yeah. but that's a great place if you're in phoenix it's a great place for training to get climbing in you're still getting that heat um but yeah it's just constant up down up down <laughs> and remind me this because i think it's a weird statistic but somebody told me and this might be wrong but there's like the highest square foot concentration of like mountain lions out there i mean not to scare you <laughs> but i thought that was like what i i think somebody probably that. said that to me and i was just like um, I've never let it go. And it was probably like <laughs> completely wrong, but I, that's like what sticks out at me. Cause it's such an isolated kind of area. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I shouldn't have even said that, but it all, like every time I'm out there, I would think like, you're like, like Oh my you? God, this is weird. They're probably but, down in that Valley. You look yeah, out at the top. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Cause myself. When we were the last there. time I was there, I got to, you know, the parking lot that's almost at the top and there were people camping there. And one guy goes, aren't you afraid of mountain lions out here? And I just oh. kind of brushed it off like, that's crazy. And now I'm like, he was onto something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Somebody said that to me. I can't remember who, but I remember like, I've never lost sight of that. So I was kind of yeah, no. like, I like having a friend out here. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah. good to know now. <laughs> 
Sorry, I should know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, there's, there's mountain lines on the course too, so you've got yeah. to be worried as well on race yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I think they get scared away pretty quickly out there. So yeah. um, you can scare them away for me. I'll be in the yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> Sweep it out of the way. Well, yeah. one thing I do want to jump into with all of you a little bit here is just kind of like the prep that you uh, use to get into Western States. I know it's just such a wild event in the sense that if you get into the lottery, it's like, Christmas times 10, right? Because if you're a first year lottery ticket owner, you got like less than a 1% chance. If you race in, I mean, that's even probably a worse chance to be able to race in, in terms of like the statistics of what, what the likelihood of it is. So it's like just ending up in the race in the first place is usually sometimes a multi-year process. A lot of energy goes into the the planning for it, but you don't always get in at the same time either. It's like you get in through a, a top 10 from the year prior, like Scott, you were 10th last year, if I'm not mistaken. So you knew in June last year, if you wanted to come back, that you'd have a spot. And then Callie, did, you got into the lottery, if I'm not mistaken. No, I'm actually a sponsored runner. So I'm in with uh, Goo and Rising Hearts. Oh, um, excellent. Yeah. So they have a sponsored bib and they invited me, what was that, late December um, and asked if I wanted it. I had my eyes actually on Cocodona again and as soon as I got this opportunity, like you're saying, the statistics, uh-huh. that someone might be able to race this. I was like, I'm Cocodon will be there next year. I'm going yeah. for Western States. <laughs> I did the exact same thing in 2018. I was training for a 24 hour track event and I found out sponsor spot. I actually got it late because um, the person who was going to have it ended up pulling out. I think they had, if I'm, I'm, I think I'm remembering this right. They, they had an injury and it was just not going to resolve itself by race day. So they wanted to give me as much headway as possible so it was like all right western states i guess <laughs> you cancel everything for that one uh, yeah and then we have nicole who um attempted to get in in october last year through javelina and was one spot away from the golden ticket but then was able to get in through bandera with the race there so yeah. all in all i guess all of you got in relatively early considering what it can be if you're racing in what can- is canyon's the last one now yeah yeah, canyon's last last one. yeah so that gives you, I guess, a reasonable good buildup. I always try to think of it as like, if you can have 24 weeks, you're looking at a pretty good timeline, at least the way I like to prepare. It gives you a chance to kind of confirm your base, do some speed work, and then get to the course specific stuff uh, later in the plan. So I'd kind of like to hear a little bit about that. I know, Scott, you just mentioned that you finished your final long run uh, at Mount Ord, and I did do a little stalking. I believe it was a 20 miler at Mount Ord. Yep. And it's an interesting topic outside of just the training in general. I think with ultra running, one of the things I think has shifted a bit since I started doing this is just the way people approach long runs in proximity to the race. Whereas a lot of marathoners or endurance athletes, they'll oftentimes start peeling back on that much sooner, but with ultras, since the intensity is so low, I think there's some application to kind of keeping at least a semblance of a long run in there a little bit sooner. So we're about a week and a half out from States and you still had one long run in the books. Yeah. Yeah, uh, But yeah, like you said, so I'm moving that long run. It's moving at hundred mile effort using my nutrition protocol, all of that stuff. So the intensity is really low. You know, I don't know if you're looking at heart rate, maybe 10 beats below aerobic threshold, then it's, it's such a low intensity workout. And for someone that runs usually pretty high volume, like the load of that on my body, I'm not concerned with, you know, being 10 days out, having any sort of fatigue lingering. And for me, it, it was important. I wanted to get uh, one more downhill stressor. Um, so that was the main goal of getting out to Ord. I wanted to do some downhill. Um, and so, yeah, I felt pretty good with with that. And now I'll be doing probably a pretty aggressive taper, um, probably a little less running than I typically would. Um, but I feel, I feel prepared in terms of the race and what I need to do. Awesome. Callie, how about you? Are you doing a long run yet or have you finalized all of those? Uh, well, I have, what do I have scheduled? Yeah. <laughs> Saturday, at a time. <laughs> yeah. Saturday, I've got uh two hours on the schedule, so that's not aggressive for me. Um, and then about what an hour or so for Sunday. So, uh, the tapers is for real starting like Monday, you know, I'll do like 45 minutes or 30 minutes, two days later. And, um, yeah, the two hours shouldn't be too crazy, but, um, 
Yeah, it's funny how we've approached training very differently, but yet still doing the same race. You, you're so used to, well, you can speak for yourself, but he's used to a higher volume. Me, I'm so prone to foot injuries that we had to be like very easy um, on like how much, how much load I could do a week. But um, this is the first time I've switched or I've utilized a uh, time-based training versus mileage base. And I feel like that's helped a lot too, um, to get to where I am still healthy, knock on wood for, for the race. So yeah, I've learned a lot of new things this training cycle and I like it. Cool. I mean, on the thing of the theme of the long run too, I'll let Nicole share her long run approach, but I do find that interesting as well as just, it seems like another conversation in ultra running right now is just how do you even do the long run? Cause historically it just sort of intuitively made sense. I think to do like a very, very long, long run. It's like, well, we run in a hundred miles. That might mean, you know, half a day out there sometimes if you're going to really kind of stretch it out. And certainly even at the Western States training camp, that first day, a lot of times that's going to be a quite a long, long run, even for the people finishing in the front. So it, one thing that I think is maybe, I wouldn't say it's taken over by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also just a strategy some people are using where they're maybe doing less of those really, really long runs and sticking closer to some sh- more frequent long runs that are a little bit more traditional. Uh, Nicole, how do you look at your long run? Yeah, I think I kind of my training has evolved a bit. I would also agree, like I'm getting older. So I've kind of changed how I train for this. And I've done um, less in terms of long run distance. So this year I didn't do anything beyond a 50K in terms of long run, just because I didn't really feel like it was going to be that beneficial to me on race day. So I, I feel like I tend to get um, even mentally fatigued when I do too many long runs. Like I feel like that I'm just like exhausted for the next week. And it's just hard for me to like sustain being excited. So I kind of mixed it up this year and did even a lot of road running, um, to build up with long runs. And so then oftentimes, you know, it's less of, um, in terms of time, it's less running involved. And oftentimes then I just do other cross training in the rest of like the, the weekend just to mix it up. So I really love to rollerblade bizarrely enough. So I'd go and rollerblade, like bring back the nineties, I guess I'm like waiting. I guess nineties are back. So yeah. So there's this cool place in Austin. That's like a three mile biking and rollerblade. Um, it's it's reserved for those specific focuses. So you can't even run on it. So it's just brilliant. And oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. the outfits you see out there are oh, I bet. like, <laughs> it's me and like the 50 to 60 year old men that rollerblade. And I'm telling you, it's like, I love it. So just things like that to keep it more exciting. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, but I would say like my mileage is still fairly high, but it's lower than it used to be and not as um, definitely not as long of long runs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd love to hear what you, what both of you do from like a peak long run standpoint. Cause I do find it interesting in the terms of, we say run, right. Mm-hmm. But then I know Scott, you mentioned like hundred mile intensity where I think that's where it really becomes interesting with this topic is you could do a long run, but then ultimately a lot of people on a course like Western States are going to do a fair bit of hiking. So I think like when you start bringing it back to Westerns or like hundred mile race intensity for a lot of people, sometimes that could mean, yeah, I'm going to go for a long run, but a chunk of it's going to be hiking. Like it will be on race day. And therefore the actual running being done is going to be closer to what we traditionally maybe see, but the overall time out there is going to be longer. And that's going to give you that opportunity to, you know, practice your gear, your fueling hydration and all that stuff is, is that kind of how both of you look at it or. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely from a coaching and athletic perspective. It's, you know, the strategy to me, I always tell athletes, you know, in any given cycle, you can maybe get fit enough to shave some minutes off of a race. But if if you become very good at strategy, you can, especially in the middle of the pack, you can shave hours off of a race. So and the only way I think to test it effectively is to move at the effort you're going to move at on race day, because if you're moving faster, you're going to digest differently. Uh, same thing with heat, you know, if you're moving faster. So to me, that's, that's a big part of the final eight or 10 weeks of training is just dialing in all of those pieces so that when you're at the start line, you're confident in every aspect of the race. And even so, you know, I mean, that's not going to mean it's going to go perfect, but at least you're there, you're confident, you know what to do. Um, and then just training the gut for, you know, I'm 
a very high carbohydrate carbohydrate intake hourly. So it just takes a while to get that kind of volume comfortable. So that's generally what I focus on for two months is getting all that food in, practicing and, and you know, the fluid intake is huge at Western States. So getting comfortable taking in, you know, 32, 38 ounces every single hour, hour after hour. A lot of athletes can't do that. Unfortunately, here in Phoenix, it's so hot that, you know, your sweat rate's so high. It's it's doesn't make it easy to do. But now for me to take in that much fluid is second nature. And I think that's that's really advantageous on a course like Western States. Yeah, yeah. for me, the long run, um, this is my first time also utilizing more liquid calories for for fueling and that was something that I really wanted to focus on for my long runs uh prior to training for western states I was incorporating liquids but also solids but I've always 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 experienced stomach issues and so I don't know there was something where I was just like I need to try focusing on liquids maybe that's what I'm missing here and ever since uh doing so I've had like zero stomach issues so I'm hoping that that stays the same uh for the race but I mean every long run I have just rehearsed as if it's you know western states race day like my nutrition gear like you were mentioning um and so far yeah all that's been going good I've done a lot of rehearsal so (laughs) yeah I think it's a fun topic because there's just so much different approaches when it comes to like people what people are going to eat or not eat maybe sometimes the better question on race day yeah are you guys targeting a specific amount of grams per hour or have you gotten that kind of nailed down yeah i generally am in between 105 and 115 grams an hour so it's definitely on the higher end and i definitely wasn't hitting those many years ago i think with some of the research and some of the products that are out now it it helps me do that um and doing that, I don't know, the past two or three years, I think there's, I've shown a lot of success that I've had. And I don't think it's just due to that, but all of the strategy pieces involved, I think really have helped me. But yeah, that, that high carbohydrate count is, I think it helps me late. I never feel low on energy late in these races. Um, and I remember early in my career, it was almost like, it was almost like Russian roulette. I never knew how the last 30 or 40 miles were going to feel or go. Whereas now I, again, I, I can't remember the last time where I was bonking or something during a race. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good about strategy going in. Yeah. You got it dialed in the, I, I remember I was reading after UTMB this last year, I think it was Killian and Tom, Tom Evans who were one in three. So they were moving right along. You could say, uh, I think they were both about a hundred grams per hour. And the actually thing that I was kind of surprised, it sounds like you've taken a little bit of a different approach to it was Killian mentioned, uh, that he's only, he's only hitting like 20 grams per hour in training at any point in time. And I just thought that was where it was like hard for me to wrap my head around. I get, I can understand the gut training principle and that approach sounds like you're actually like training the gut to be able to tolerate those numbers. But, uh, I think I'd have a hard time getting anywhere near that if I wasn't at least pushing up to that in training uh, to do it. So if Killian was able to only do 20 grams an hour in training and then do a hundred on race day, that's, that's impressive in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's how you approach it. Right. So if we, you know, this metabolic efficiency testing with, you know, I'm sure, you know, Zach with how much fat versus how much carbohydrate mm-hmm. are you burning? And the more carbohydrate you're putting in, the more carbohydrate you're going to burn. So I think we'll start to see this, especially with some coaches where now that we have metabolic efficiency testing, you know, using periodized nutrition, I think there is times like where Killian did where, okay, maybe in training, you know, you're teaching your body to burn more fat and then come race day, you could have that advantage. But then on race day, you are also going to provide it with those high amounts of carbohydrate. And yeah, it's, it's, I can't imagine doing it. It's just because I don't think my stomach would handle that well. But again, I'm only using these high carbohydrates, you know, like I said, in the last eight weeks of training, Mm -hmm. generally before that, you know, it's just optimizing workouts and you're not going to take in that much carbohydrate, like in the threshold block or doing threshold workouts. It's just too, the intensity is too high. Mm -hmm. How about you, Callie? What are you planning on? You said liquid calories are the mostly the way to go. Are you, do you have a gram total that you're aiming for? Is it just get in what you can get in? Um, 
well, I usually aim for well, like 250 calories an hour. Um, and that's all from my goo roctane. So I have it right here. <laughs> it's there you go. 60 grams. So about 60 <laughs> grams. <laughs> that's actually what the camera is sitting on right now is a huge bottle of oh, roctane. That's creative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need a little tripod. That'll do. <laughs> and what yeah. about you? What's your plan, fuel wise? You're an aid station person for the most part. Yeah, I just kind of eat intuitively. I I don't probably you wouldn't want to ask like what you do because I kind of uh, base it off of like feeling and just. But you probably know better. Yeah, than what I probably I actually eat. know your fueling strategy better than you do for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> it is You're funny. Like, I get to an aid station and I see what looks good. Yeah, <laughs> I conveniently could eat pretty much off of like anything at the aid station, which oh, is good. So but nice. uh, yeah, so it works out well. Um, and then I use some S fuels, but um, which is helpful for some liquid calories and caffeine, but yeah, I am much less, um, dialed in than you all. And, um, I don't I know. Play. I feel like for me, yeah. I just have such a structured like day job where I constantly am like following rules and protocol. And for whatever reason, at some point in my life with running, I just said no go. And I've kind of, um, intentionally kind of just, done it by feel. And probably that's not lead that doesn't necessarily lead to the best outcome, but it tends to work pretty well for me. So I go with it. Well, I think it might depend. It just depends on like the level of stress you're going to put on yourself with the amount of structure you decide. Cause at the end of the day, there's an endless number of things you could consider for a hundred miles. And for you, it's like your release is letting go of some of the very structured stuff in your day-to-day life. And it's not that you're just like throwing caution to the wind the way I I say it is like, I, I like for me personally, although I'm not doing the race, I like a plan A, a plan B and a plan C when it comes to fueling and my plan A and plan B are kind of the things I'm practicing a lot more in training, the things that I've known I've used a bunch of times in the past. They usually have some sort of contrast. So I don't feel like I'm having the same thing over and over again. And then plan C is just kind of like knowing what's at the aid station. So that when I get closer to it, if I decide A and B, I don't really want, but I know the aid station has this and that feels good right now, I'm going to go for that. You're just kind of almost mostly plan C. Like you're kind of just yeah. I think I know what's at the aid station. I know I should get something. I'm gonna go grab it and then yeah. There you go. And I, I also do really like goo. I usually eat like the chews. I mean I, love I conveniently like don't usually have stomach issues. I probably am kind of on the lower end most of the time, but I it just depends where in the race, like when I'm feeling low energy or I'm starting, you know, like you can feel mm-hmm. it kind of coming on, on climbs. I'm trained, taking a lot of extra calories. So I think I just do it intuitively. And, uh, I also am pretty familiar with that course. So I kind of know what's coming, which makes it a little easier to play it by year. Cause you kind of know, like going up devil's thumb, it's like taking a lot of calories because then you're like, you know, I'm moving slower. So uh, yeah. it works. Yeah, I got my first taste of devil's thumb. Oh. And, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. It just never ends. It's be a little different yeah. this year, too, out there with all the burn. Uh, I haven't seen it yet other than pictures, but it sounds like all three of you have been out there at some it's point. Michigan Bluff, that's brutal. That area, that's just mm-hmm. really, it's the burn there is like, that's going to be a lot more exposed. And that climb is just, it's always rough, I think, compared, even compared to Devil's Thumb, for whatever reason, it's like a little hotter at that point in the day. And I think it's a little lower. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's the one that I think is going to be the, I don't know, maybe it's just mentally always like in the back of my mind, Ooh, like it's rough. I DNF'd after that one year. And so I just, the sheer forward progress after that, I think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was yeah. definitely uh, exposed. You, that, yeah, that, you on training true. camp, right? Like, uh-huh. was, I mean, yeah. when you got to those areas, it was a stark contrast to yeah. what you went just went through before. And um, yeah, I was. It's going to be interesting to see how yeah. people race through it this year. I feel like that might be a bit of a, a relative advantage for the the Phoenix Arizona yeah. folks because, like, I mean, you're always exposed out there. Like, there's not really totally. there's no shade, no matter yeah. what, even if it's cool. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Being exposed is like probably what you're just kind of used to for the most part. Yeah. I don't even check the weather anymore. I know it's going to be sunny and hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what you're getting out, out the door when you go run in Phoenix. Cause it's like sun heat. Yeah, you know, exactly. like, I know you don't after this, to... we're going out for our, our run to get, you know, some 
heat adaption today. And oh yeah, I see the sun is still shining bright. <laughs> People ask all the time on a side note, and then I'll I won't ditch like derail the subject. But they say, oh well, Austin's so hot too. It's like not compared to Phoenix. Like <laughs> Phoenix is a different level because the sun is just it's oh impressive. you like yeah. live on the sun kind of yeah, and you can't escape it. No, no. That's- yeah. It is funny too. Like it's just once it starts, like once you yeah. hit the heat of the summer, you just know, okay, this is constant throughout until mm-hmm. until the end of fall, essentially. Whereas it does get hot here in Austin, but you're gonna get like more random storms, overcast days, and alterations in the weather to like not feel like you're just like in it for the long haul necessarily, the way yeah. <laughs> you can kind yeah. of get in Phoenix. But you guys have the humidity, which is just it's a yeah another level today of was the today was the most human or hottest day ever in june they said oh, and really? i can attest this morning running it was pretty <laughs> gross <laughs> i was like thanks for sharing that when i yeah. when i heard that during the run this morning a couple of guys were saying i was like well i'm going to be slowing down because i felt like my heart rate was really high yeah, so happening. it all ends up yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh. you know th- that's one of the bigger things i've noticed since moving was uh just the way you prepare for the hot weather runs is like in the dry heat, you know, a thin layer or something, especially if you can keep it wet is a nice little benefit and you can even throw a pack on and it's not that oppressive, but here it's like handhelds and belts. Like if you want to be like as much skin as you can get any breeze that hits you. Cause that, that, the water or sweat just doesn't want to come off of you. And that is definitely a different vibe for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a question. So this was something that was hard for me when we started running the same races way back in the day. And I feel like I've evolved as a human and it doesn't bother me as much, (laughs) but just for somebody else, maybe it's just me being paranoid. But when we would run the same race, I would spend a lot of mental energy, like worried about what you were doing. Like I particularly like remember at Western States, I guess it was 2018, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I was like always asking, how's Zach doing? And people would be (laughs) like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you concentrate on yourself? Because I think, and that was probably to my detriment. Like now I don't feel like I'm as invested. I mean, no offense. I'm very (laughs) invested, but I'm not as like, mentally wrapped up in that. I I don't know. I've like moved on as a human in terms of the evolution, I guess, but just curious for you all, do you, is that something you all feel like, or? I mean, I do. Yeah. So we've done two male thing. They're like, no, we don't even (laughs) think about you guys in their face. Yeah. At my pace, I've got time to think about anything. (laughs) I was very caught up in it in 2018, I think. So I'm glad it must be a female thing because sounds like you guys didn't really give it much pause. Yeah. No. So we did Black Canyon together and then Crown King together. And I remember Black King or Black Canyon. That was our first, like, we had just started dating maybe like. A month before that maybe two three weeks and so going to the race I was like oh I wonder how he's doing and I mean I like had time to check my phone while I'm also doing 100k <laughs> yeah. um and I'm seeing him move up in the race and that was the race that he got the golden ticket for so yeah. when I saw that he got it I was like I don't know what mile I must have been at like 40 or something and been like oh I feel good now going into the night <laughs> but yeah. then he had to wait like eight hours for me to finish <laughs> yeah to celebrate right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of the race, what I need to do. Uh, you're definitely the same. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean that's totally, I just like has I, blinders on. I yeah. was wondering, Kelly, if you felt the same, cause like for a while, that was like really hard for me for like, maybe like a year or so. And now I just yeah. realize you can't like waste the mental energy on it. But that, yep. that was very real for me for a so couple funny. of big races where I kind of was like, hmm, probably to my detriment I did not have success and it was my own fault but it was very real yeah I did the same thing and at crown king too I went to an aid station I was like do you know who won and they were like I think Scott Trayer and I was like oh, <laughs> oh great yeah yeah I was like oh good but like up until then I was thinking like oh I hope his race is going well I hope yeah. he's not having issues or anything and then when he finished I'm like okay now I can think about me yeah no <laughs> so. Maybe because we're behind you, so it works. Yeah, I, that too. Yeah, we can ask those questions and yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. I just go by like no news is good news. So if no one tells me anything bad happened, yeah. I assume Nicole's just crushing it. So <laughs> well, at that time in Hong Kong, you hid from me, so I oh, didn't. That's right. yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you didn't want me to see that I that you had dropped out, and I was blissfully ignorant, yeah. and I did well because I did not know. Like I may oh, have yeah. like 
That's I mean, true. again, it's, it was very fascinating. It's like, it's interesting. Don't you all think about how you evolve, like just in terms mm-hmm. of running over the years and like what bothers you and what doesn't. And yep, that's true. And that's even right, actually. Oh, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. I actually usually don't like to know anything going on. Like I'll, I've told Kelly and I'll tell the person crewing me uh, here. Like, I don't want people to tell me what place I'm in usually during the race. And then like at, at this race, I'll tell Joe, I don't want to know. And then mm-hmm. come into Forest Hill when then it's like, okay, it's time to start racing. At that point, I'll start asking, okay, how far back am I? Because I know I race from the back. How far back am I? And then it starts being like, okay, now we're in race mode. But those first 60 something miles, I don't, I'm just kind of out there doing my own thing and just kind of waiting for the race to start. So I don't want to have any distractions. I don't want to know. I don't want good news or bad news. I just want to keep everything just kind of steady and chill. <laughs> And then it's, yeah, then the racing starts and it's, I start to get really focused. Yeah. Don't tell me what's going on in the world today. Just let me mm-hmm. have yeah. my adventure. <laughs> until I that, get to that's actually an interesting topic too, Scott, because like last year you were 10th place and you weren't moving back. So that means like when you got to Forest Hill, when was the first time you knew, realized where you were and where were you like in terms of the field to get up to 10th? I, I want to say think, it was like Michigan Bluff. Yeah, so I think someone told me, and then uh, Kyle Patari was running with me. I came in at Forest Hill and ran with me for you know just a mile through Forest mm-hmm. Hill, and he kind of he had given me some tips going into the race, and he kind of broke everything down. Told, hey, you're X far back from the leader. You're X far back from this, and that was all I kind of really knew. I knew then. Um, I didn't close as well as I would have liked to. I had a few things going on, but, but yeah, that's generally where it is. Even in any race I'm doing, it's, I generally wait till the point where I actually feel like, okay, the race is on. Now I want to know things, but usually before it's just trying not to make mistakes early. And I think if you're concerned with what other people are doing or what place you're in, you're gonna, it's going to affect how you're running. So I try not to, especially in trail racing where every mile is different. Everything's different. Um, I know for me personally, if I get to mile 60 and I'm not feeling good or mile 70 and I'm not going to be able to close fast, then it's not going to be a good race. But I know if I can get there and if I'm going to close well, then I'm going to have a great race. So that's, that's my main focus. It's not so much where's everyone. It's just like I said, focused on me. And like, I think that, like I said, it takes all the pressure of placing and all this stuff off me. And so it just, it works for me, but I know other people, that's not what they want. (laughs) Yeah. Well, got you back in the race. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) It is an interesting thing to think about too. And you made me think of this, Scott, when you were talking about just not wanting to know early on, And I always think about these hundred milers as like, obviously there's the physical component that you have to manage. You can't go out too fast or you want to manage your pacing properly. So you're in a position to run hard at the end, but there's also the mental fatigue of just being out there that long. So I try to almost look at it as like two different things you're dealing with, with your mental energy and your physical energy. And obviously they will like impact one another to a degree. But I always wonder when someone like talks about it the way you do is like, if that's either a intentional or unintentional way of like preserving mental energy, because if you're thinking, oh, I'm in 21st place and I want to be in eighth or wherever at the end, I need to move it. And you're just constantly burning energy, thinking about how many people you have to pass versus just kind of like putting on auto control for a while and then waiting until you get to the spot where, you know, and then the passing of people kind of becomes a little bit more of a, a, a mental boost versus like a fatiguing thing. It's a hundred percent for me. It's intentional for those same exact reasons. And again, it's something I learned over time, right? When in my first race, second race, it's not like that. You're thinking all these things that you don't need to be thinking. And then you get to the point where you need to put all your energy in and you have no energy to give. And so, yeah, for me, it was just, I guess, a gradual transition. And now when we're working with athletes, I try to give them that tip um, because, you know, it, you're not going to win or race in the first 30 miles, but you can certainly lose it. And I don't like to have anxiety or anxiousness. So even like the process goals I set for myself going like for Western States, my process goals are all about things I need to do just to get myself to the, to succeed in the next step of the race. Um, And none of those are time or place goals. How about you, Callie? Are you, do you have any approach mentally for the race that you try to rehearse or is it all just like 
live in the moment and take it as it comes? It's kind of a a bit of both. I I do like to live in the moment, especially, you know, first time at Western States and there's just so much excitement in that. Um, But I like to do whatever I can to just to stay positive or think of the positives that are going on. So like what's feeling good, what's going well, um, and just continue to focus on those. And anytime any kind of like little bad thought comes around, I just try and squash it with like, just reminding myself to be grateful to not only just be running, but also to be running this race and running it with all these people and how magical it is. And, you know, it's such a special race and I'm doing it for a special reason. So um, there's a lot of just, I guess, positivity going into this race specifically. So I'm, I'm hoping that carries me through. Yeah. Um, question for you all. Um, Nicole's um, dodging her mental approach. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that. that Western States is a hard race for me because mentally it's like intertwined with so many things that have happened to me in my life. Like, oddly mm. enough, it likes times that are very, um, close to the race and so I find myself thinking back a lot over the years over like the eight or so years that I just evolved as a human so I guess I should think of it more as like a victory lap as I age you know like wow I still have the opportunity to do this and you know it's like cool to look back and process how far you've come so it's become like a really kind of like I think generally now it's like a positive experience but there have been years that it's been somewhat a little painful so for that reason I think Western is hard and, but it calls me back bizarrely enough, but just out of curiosity, how do you all, um, what do you want from pacers when you're, um, when you're out there, do you like people to talk to you or like, what, what is your MO there? Because, um, I, I see the gamut of what people look for in a pacer. Yeah. So this is, I guess, like my second time ever having pacers. I'm used to doing hundreds solo, no crew wow, yeah. pacers just going because there's always to me, like having or reminding myself that there are people, you know, at an aid station waiting for me, they're thinking I'm going to get there this time. Like that just adds little pressures. Um, but for a race like this, like I really do want a crew and I really do want pacers. So, um, my pacers, I actually met in the middle of the Moab 240 this past October, we were all huddled around a campfire and about to endure the toughest section of Moab, which is going up Shea Mountain. It's a very steep climb and it was in the dark and um, those races aren't marked super thoroughly so you almost need to have a nice fresh brain to like lead you up and through these areas and I was lucky in that I met my uh two pacers for who are going to be at western states Izzy and Melissa and we all kind of like looked at each other in the fire and we were like are we doing this and we we're like yeah <laughs> so we all like went up Shea Mountain together and it was this tough moment I mean there were moments where we're going a mile an hour because it's like this kind of steepness and your poles are just barely getting you up the next step and it was just a, such a bonding moment. So when they found out that I was in Western, they reached out and they were like, can we come help you? And I was like, yes. Awesome. <laughs> so I kind of want uh, a pacer who just understands those super low moments that I might endure um, for this race, like I did at Moab, um, to just kind of be that like comfort, that that blanket, that safety blanket to like get me through those tough parts and remind me that I can do hard things, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty low maintenance when it comes to a pacer. They were like, are there any words that we shouldn't say? Or what kind of foods do you want? Or would you look forward to? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just run together. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I generally don't use pacers. I never have. Um, I don't know. If I, if I had a, there's only, I generally don't run with people either. I usually running to me is my time. I'm, I work a lot. And so when I get to go running, yeah, sometimes I run with people, but for the most part, that's rare. I like to have that time. It's my time to be creative or think about things. Um, so there's really maybe two or three people in the world that I would say, hey, if you're in the city at this time, I would have them pace me because they're really in my inner circle. But besides that, I just, yeah, I just usually go by myself. Um, so no pacers. No, awesome. it's interesting the spectrum um like of what people want like I I I have historically had pacers but I can see the element of like it's kind of like nice to tough it out alone and go through the process um this year I have I'm fortunate that um 
I ran in college and um, when we moved back to Austin, one of my really good training partners now lives in Austin. And, you know, we used to run together 20 years ago and now she's going to come um, pace me at Western, which I think is kind of cool that like of all the years, we're still like running workouts together, you know, as older yeah. ladies. And then I also have another friend that ran with me in college who the, for the first time Zach coaches her and she's going to come out and um, be part of the crew, which I think is special. And then of course, you know, I have Zach, which is fun, like that we get to share it together. So I'm always kind of happy when um, he runs me in, but uh, oh. I like to see what people like, you know, cause it's so different on the course, what you see people asking for. I just always go into Kelly, I have a recommendation, make sure your pacers have good stories for you. Cause that's what I covet when I, and I ask, can you please tell me some good stories from the day? Cause there will always be interesting stories that happen out there because, you know, like watching people and things. So <laughs> if you have them like, like have those stories, it does make for like some funny moments to like hear about the race as it was happening. Sure. That's a good idea. A question on pacing. So this is something I always bring up and I've brought it up, you know, here with some of the folks with our Viper, people that ask me this kind of question on pacing. I have an opinion and it's maybe because I do not use pacers and I have lost more than one race by getting off course. Mm. But in these championship style events, for those trying to win the event, I would question if pacers should be allowed. So yeah. for those trying to just finish the event, I 100% support yeah. as a safety, but as a trail runner, as those generally winning these events, they are professional trail runners. A big part of our sport, be it training, racing is staying on course. And that's a challenge when you have cognitive fatigue. So it's definitely advantageous to have the pacer for some certain reasons, but, and I don't, you know, it's, it's part of the rules. You can use them, you know, outside of maybe run rabbit run. And at Leadville, your pacer can carry your gear and mule for you. So at Leadville this year, I actually may have a friend come for that reason. It's like, well, yeah, it'd be advantageous. But it's an interesting concept to think. Outside of Run Rabbit Run, I don't know of any championship style events that are not allowing pacers. And I, I think of that, you know, like when we're running, you know, when Zach runs for a world record or a, on the track, like you can't have someone pacing or in front of you setting that pace or... So it's, I, don't, I wonder if, if our sport will uh, transition to this. And I've heard every side of it. And yeah. of course it takes, a, for some people, it takes a team to get through these hundred milers and they're part of the team. Um, but it's just something I, I would like the sport and race directors of bigger events to consider. Um, it's just, that's something that's always been in my head. Yeah, I feel like this is a topic that comes up a lot, but it doesn't seem to be, interesting to the race directors for whatever reason in terms of making the I guess it wouldn't be maybe it's a, maybe a, the better way to say it is like no one wants to really be the the trendsetter there or the race that like western states is the trendsetter obviously so if they did it they could probably set a precedent to a lot of other races but I'm kind of with you Scott like I would almost love a scenario where you couldn't have crew or pacers and it sounds weird coming from the guy who does the track ultras where it's like you have a crew there all day long but when so for that, I think when you're stepping on a track to run on an ultra marathon, then it's like everything is about trying to hit time splits. So there, I think it's it's closer to a road marathon in that case. 100%. And it's equalized. Like you you don't really have an advantage or disadvantage on that because it's so easy to have that support there. Whereas I feel like a race like Western States, if they had no crew, no pacers, and that would be a standard rule, I'd vote for that if I were I in would, the race. I would too. I think it would just would be too. advantageous because I think it would just be more of a problem solving event. Right. I wonder though, if it's like a safety thing, especially is, yeah. like from a oh, yeah. perspective, you know, like there are those kinds of things that come up, especially for females. I just wonder like, sure. I, I put it at awards. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, like, can, like, yeah. And then I don't know, maybe the, maybe the way we're, I'm really getting into like complications here in logistics, but then it's like, maybe you use the resources that go into crewing and, pacing and put those people out on the course so it's safer so like you know like, i mean sure. i could just see like imagine the bad publicity that you would get not only from like someone oh, yeah. like falling or something but could you imagine the race where like a woman unfortunately had some type of event where i'm you not know. saying that that's likely to happen but i could see like the negative i, I don't yeah. know i, there, I there's wouldn't definitely be... a lot of a lot of sides yeah. to it and it's just something i always think about in maybe our sport goes that way but yeah 
I think it, I mean, I'd vote for it personally. I mean, I, it makes I, sense. I think it would be a, a cooler, like more individual, like championship. I just think it fits the, the entire the ethos, like, ethos of right? what it is. Like, it's not, you know, the, the idea is that this is this epic thing that's human powered and like just really far reaching outer limit stuff. And then when, yeah, the more, the more you add to it, the less that kind of be, the more you can kind of contrive it, I guess. So, I mean, that'd be cool. There actually is Scott. I mean, it's not a championship race. Like you said, there's a race that they're putting on now. I think it might only have gone on for like a year, but it's a hundred miler with no, no crew, no pace or no aid stations. They don't have anything out there. I thought I saw that on the rock list, right? It's it's in Montana. Yeah, I believe Montana. Oh, I know. Idaho. Can't remember which. Idaho, maybe. I think Plain 100 in Washington also. Washington. I would die. I mean, and I then, couldn't survive. Something. I would die without the aid stations for sure. I don't wear a watch, and so I would completely. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. You don't wear a watch. Yeah. That's unique. You don't wear a watch? No. That's kind of nice. It's, it's very <laughs> totally. funny. When she said she disconnects on race day. She disconnects. It's like, yeah. it's not just the, the the fueling strategy that she goes a little more impromptu. Well, and the last time I wore a watch, I DNF'd and it was a bad luck. I swear. Yeah, no, she gave me a, a watch for my birthday and I wore it and I now never come in back that white watch. Mm-mm. It's bad luck. <laughs> wow. Just stays in the closet. <laughs> There's a there's another race too um, that I actually have my eye on. It's kind of on the short end of what I could probably reasonably do coming back from injury, but I'm still I still have my eye on it. Is this hundred k in Tahoe that Candace Burt's putting on? And I just assume it's like a feeder in as like a training run into the Tahoe two hundred because it's hundred k, no crew, no pacer, just three aid stations. So every Is fifteen it miles. PRT? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Tahoe Ram. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I think it's only the. I know they canceled it during COVID. So they had had it like the year before that, but I think it was the first year she put it on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a couple people, I was talking to them on the bus going to the Robinson flat station for a training camp who were training for that race at the training camp. Yeah. They were just, cause it's, you know, it's so close. They were like, oh, this is perfect. Like, it's like literally a training camp, but for this other race. (laughs) Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of cool. It's like, well, you have three, eight stations with drop bags. I'll just have like, essentially four packs and each age station has a pack and I'm just going to wear the one drop off, grab the other and just boom, boom, boom. And then, yeah, that's, there is a, I mean, I've done both directions, no pacer, no crew, and then the whole business. And the funny thing is I did it. Well, I did Javelina in 2016 and 2017, 2016. I was kind of like a last minute decision, no crew, no pacers just showed up and had a great time and felt like I probably was better off without it. 2017, I uh, did bring pacers. I did a little worse, but I actually think given that year, the way I ended up racing, I probably would have been, I probably would have dropped out had I not had pacers. Yeah, so sure. that, that begs Scott, your question of like, was that fair? Cause like, had I dropped out with no pacers, then it's one of those things where like, if a pacer saves your race, did they save your race or did they give you an unfair advantage? And then, yeah, you get into that whole conversation. It's true. Mm-hmm. I didn't win though, at least. So (laughs) I won the year with no crew and pacers. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we're, what, we're a week and a half out. Uh, When do you all head out to Western States? I'm leaving Monday. Uh, The goo house is going to be all set up in Olympic, Olympic Valley. So I'll head straight there and get used to being at what, 6,000 feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you leave Wednesday. Wednesday, yep. So staying here as much as long as possible yeah. to watch the old dog before we have to oh, drop yeah. him off. You can kind of see him right here. <laughs> oh, I thought I saw something wandering around in the yeah, background. Yeah, right? your dog was not allowed in the room, which we can talk about after the podcast. It was devastating <laughs> for me. <laughs> I could hear her during the podcast trying to get in. Oh. <laughs> it's I so know. funny because we'll they, they have just, well, not so much our older dog but our younger dog is just completely attached to nicole where and, and nicole like just eggs it on too so <laughs> yes, i do <laughs> and it's just like if they if, if she's not home they're waiting by the door or if we're in a room and the door's closed they're waiting by the door and as soon as she's out mine, mine is attached to him as soon as he gets on the couch to work mine will leave me wherever i am and go and sit right next to him oh. with his head in his lap <laughs> 
They're the best. I, <laughs> they are. We can we can have a reunion after because you can you can bring in grandma. What's yours? Um, what's the name? Uh, his name's Cloudy Brown. Oh. We just call him Cloudy. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's Fourteen. Ours oh. is Stella, and she is fourteen too. Oh, uh, wow. So we call her Grandma. Or I well, like she started responding to it, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's funny. She's like she she knew yeah. she knew the assignment to take on that yeah. name. The funny thing is, so Nicole and I oh. are coming up on our fifth year of marriage, and so I I adopted Stella, our old dog, when yeah. I was mm-hmm. welcomed into the family, and it was uh, Nicole was like, oh well, I've had Stella for X number of years. And la- we, we celebrated last year her 15th birthday. And then Nicole was looking at some old Facebook stuff and realized that she was not one, but two years off. <laughs> I did that. I'm not. She's now back to 14 and turning. She's turning 14 or 15? She's turning, she's turning 14. She's turning 14 this year. Oh, that's great. Thought- I don't know how I did that. I don't even want to <laughs> pretend like that's reasonable. Poor, poor grandma. But oh, she has- she's only the worst. Two more years to live. Oh, close enough, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And also, you just made her a little younger, so that she yes, probably exactly. takes that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So we'll have to get out to to Arizona at some point and visit after Western states, and yeah. maybe meet up for, for a run or something to celebrate yeah. all three of your success stories. So I'm sure they're going to be all of them. But before mm-hmm. I let you go, we should go over just. I know goals are a bit of a touchy subject, but if you have goals, or at least just like maybe if you don't have a specific goal, like what is the experience you're looking to get from the Western States 100 this year, that would be fine too. Yeah. I mean, I just want to finish. <laughs> um, and I want to finish not having to go to the hospital. So I guess that's a good <laughs> goal. That's a good goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't really know. It wasn't the best training cycle for me. I have, uh, I fractured my toe in April. So I've oh, been no. running with it like casted. And they think it's going to hold. I went for new images. It's a small piece. So I'm really going into it. No expectations. So I hope if I run well, I think I'm fit enough that I can certainly get in the top 10. But I also know that there's a chance my day ends early. So these next 10 days, I'm just focusing on trying to believe in myself and put myself in the best position mentally that let's go out there and close fast in the last half of the race i'm betting scott fifth now <laughs> yeah. i'm putting any pressure on you <laughs> how about you nicole um i'm just trying to go out with a bang right like i i've been fortunate to run the race a lot of times but this was kind of an extra bonus year that i really didn't expect and so i figure if i can have my best day out there you know that's that's my goal like give it my all and enjoy because again you I, I feel like at this point, I'm getting to the point where I don't, I don't think I probably will necessarily be running at the same level for much longer. So, you know, might as well um, enjoy the moment. My yeah. my prediction is that it won't be Nicole's last year because she's told me the, the last, this is her third Western States that it's been her last time at Western States. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, back. yeah, Nicole, you're crushing. You have many more years. You crush Evelina, you crush Bandera, and you're gonna crush here. No, well, you yeah. guys are gonna crush. I'm I was it's so <laughs> exciting to see you both racing, and I've it's been fun cheering you all on from watching all your stories and um it's yeah, been, it's gonna be a great day. It's been fun training for the same race for you know oh, six or however yeah. month yeah you're on the same and schedule that's fine that yeah. is yeah fun. so yeah. it's we've been going through everything together basically and we'll go out to ord together we'll both be on the couch recovering together mm-hmm. and talking about it and talking strategies for the next long run so it's been it's been a fun journey and yeah i'm kind of gonna take this race as a little victory lap for this training cycle and that's an underrated point when you're on the same schedule it's not just it's not even a quick, I think some people ask Nicole and myself, like, well, do you guys run together? And it's like, when we're on the same schedule, it's, it's less about that. Although we do sometimes it's less about that. It's more about like what you just said, Callie, like if we're on the same schedule and we're both doing a long run, we're probably going to feel miserable at the same times. (laughs) And we're going to feel like refreshed at the same time. So then we're like matching up in our, in our attitudes more or less. And that's usually a little more convenient for the other areas of life too. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Especially the weekends, just run and sit at the pool the rest of the day. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to worry sure. about leaving, leaving the partner home yeah. for three or four hours. And exactly. <laughs> don't forget about the dogs, the dogs too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, do a lot of scheduling around the dog. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the reality. But before we let you go, I want to let the listeners know where they can find either of you on social media. I know Scott, you coach too. So if you've got a website for that and everything, please share that. And I'll also put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'm both uh, at runfaster on Instagram and runfaster.com. Uh, and that is R-U-N-F-A-S-T-A-H because I am from Boston. So FASTA is spelled FASTA with the A-H. There you go. And you got the Boston green too. <laughs> green. Green. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't have a website, but I am at Callie Vinson with two ends at the end for Instagram. <laughs> and, and don't underestimate the lack of website. Callie's Instagram page is a lot of fun. So I encourage everyone yeah. to go and check out some of the great reels that you put up on yes. there. <laughs> You're so talented. Fun to create. <laughs> I've uh, been a creative for my entire career. So being able to do it just like on the side has been fun and motivating. Yeah, no doubt. Hopefully, well, we're hoping to get a great Western States reel out of it. So no pressure, but oh, that's, but that's my expectation for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having us on. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, likewise. We'll look yeah. forward to seeing you out at uh, Olympic Village and then in Auburn to celebrate a bit. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank Absolutely. You. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors include Element T Electrolytes and Delta G Ketone Esters. Element T electrolytes can be found at drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and are offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. And Delta G ketones can be found at deltagketones.com. Also, give them a follow at deltag.ketones on Instagram. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program. So you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zackbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.